Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. This weekend, we have that great parable of the unjust steward. Now, it's a strange story. In some ways, it's hard for us to really get anything out of it. But there are some nice lessons for us all in the spiritual life. Now, if you look at how Jesus taught, many times he used parables, especially like this one, that were very puzzling. Most of the time, Jesus never laid out his teaching in doctrinal form, like we know it today, according to doctrine or dogma. Jesus did not lay out the theology of the Holy Trinity and boom, it's there. Or the theology of the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist or Jesus Christ, fully human and fully divine. He didn't tell his apostles, okay, now dictate this. Here it is. No, instead of most of Jesus' teaching was laid out with these parables, funny stories that make you scratch your head and say to yourself, what is he really talking about? Now, many of these parables are very funny stories filled with twists and turns. To take a look at our world, and see it for what it is in a different way, maybe even to turn the world that we know upside down. Now, if you look at the parables that Jesus taught in all four of the Gospels, roughly about one-third are about the world, the economy, about barter and trade. Another third of the parables is about agriculture, farming, and planting. Now, this is very intentional by Jesus. Jesus wants to speak to the people according to the terms that they understand. Now, we have to realize the audience that Jesus is speaking to. They were farmers and common laborers, tradesmen, small business owners. Therefore, he wanted to speak to them in terms of which things that they knew in their day-to-day -day life. So, for farmers, if he addressed them, he would give them parables about planting and agriculture. For common laborers or tradesmen, he would give them parables about trade or commerce. More to it, Jesus grew up in a world of trade. Remember, his stepfather Joseph was a carpenter. Not only did Joseph teach Jesus carpentry, but he probably also brought Jesus along on jobs that he had in distant villages or cities or towns. There, Jesus learned, was exposed to trade and barter as a way of life. Well, the gospel for this weekend is what we would refer to as an economic parable. It's about the unjust steward. He's put in charge or entrusted with managing his master's money. Now, we would say this person in our own day and age is like an accountant or a CPA. Now, the master finds out this steward is stealing from him. He's caught with his hand in the till. And so, he fires him. Now, after being fired, he panics, doesn't he? He knows he's in serious trouble. Why? 
Because in the ancient world, there were no social safety nets like we have in our country in this day and age. There is no social security, no Medicare or Medicaid. There is no food stamps or unemployment insurance that he could file for. No, he lost his job, his income. He could possibly lose now his house. Unless he had a very wealthy relative to support him, he was in serious trouble. In fact, you could say this is a life or death situation. So he is in dire straits. And so what does he do? It says, the steward said to himself, what shall I do? Now that my master is taking the position of steward away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Well, now he's kind of analyzing his prospects. Furthermore, he lives in a town and like all towns, nothing is ever hidden. Eventually, the truth gets out about people, their past and what they've done. Eventually, the truth will get out about what he's done that he was fired from his job because he was stealing from his master. Well, chances are that he'll never get a job like this again as an accountant or steward. The chances are very remote that anyone will trust him again, especially with money. So therefore, he concentrates on menial jobs or tasks. He says, you know, digging ditches, I'm too old to do that. Begging for money and for food, I'm too proud to do that. So now his prospects are really narrowing quite quickly. He realizes he truly is in dire straits. So what does he do next? He acts. He called in the master's debtors one by one. To the first, he said, how much do you owe my master? He replied, 100 measures of olive oil. He said to him, here is your promissory note. Sit down and quickly write one for 50. Well, what is he doing now? Well, he's cooking the books again. He's manipulating the financial records. He's cheating. He's stealing. The first time he stole primarily for himself. Now he's stealing for these other people for the express purpose of trying to make friends with these people that owe his master money. It's a sleazy way of making friends, isn't it? He's compounding his own immorality, but he doesn't care. He's acting, isn't he? He sees that if he is good to these people, then when the, the master finally lets him go, he can go to these people and say, hey, remember I did you this favor? Now can you do me a favor? Can you get me a job? Or can you shelter me or give me food? Now the master finds out about this, and this is very interesting. He doesn't get angry with his steward. Instead, he commends him for his prudent thinking. Isn't that odd? Jesus himself, it appears, makes him look like a hero. Now you say to yourself, well, this doesn't make any sense. You know, this is contrary to the gospel. This man cheats and steals. And it seems that Jesus praises him for being a clever criminal. So what are we to make of this? Well, there are some good spiritual lessons that we can pull from this. A sense of urgency and a preparedness in our faith. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus does not praise the dishonesty of this steward but rather he does praise his cleverness and acting decisively in a moment of crisis. Now, this unjust steward, he is in a moment of crisis. He's been fired from his job and his prospects of getting hired are pretty bleak. Now, that word crises, the Greek is krusus, which is seen up and down the gospel. Krisus means decision or judgment on our part. 
Christ himself requires us to make a decision about him. When we see the presence of Christ in our life, when we deal with Jesus, we are required to make a decision, a choice. Because in and through Jesus, God's life is now made available to us. Great example of this is the very beginning of Mark's gospel. When Jesus begins to preach for the very first time, what does he say? The time is now. Repent and believe in the good news in the gospel. Well, this parable compels us to wake up. A decision needs to be made. Christ himself made God's life available for us all. Therefore, what's expected? A crisis, a decision to be made, to choose it and live out that life with Christ. See, the first lesson we can take from this, we must always be awake to our spiritual state. Mother Teresa, in the last visit that she had here in the United States before she died, she said something that was quite profound. I'll never forget it. She said, of all the seven deadly sins, in her opinion, sloth was the worst, the deadliest. Now, I know most of us think that pride is the deadliest of all the sins, because with pride, the ego is so great, it eclipses the need for God in a person's life. But for Mother Teresa, she believed that sloth was the deadliest of all sins. Sloth, complacency. The person says, you know, I just don't care about praying, so I'm not going to do it. I just don't care about going to Mass, so I'm not going to do it. You know, I just don't care about my faith or the spiritual life, so therefore I'm not going to practice it. When you think about that, it is very true, isn't it? And see, this is what Jesus is getting at in this parable. We must always remain awake to our spiritual situation. Make that clear decision to share a life with Christ and then live it out. You know, in some ways, it's kind of like the 12-step process. A person is eating or drinking or gambling too much. When do they wake up to their situation? When they hit rock bottom, don't they? It's only then do they realize, hey, I've got a serious problem. I've got a crisis in my life. Well, we have to always remain awake. Awake to that great decision to share a life with Christ. A second lesson that we can pull from this is the fact that this steward makes a very clear assessment of his life. Notice what he says. I'm too old to dig ditches. I'm too proud to beg. People in crises are compelled to be brutally honest with themselves. There's no room for self-deception. They can't have it. Great example is like a person that has a poor diet and never exercises. And what happens? They suffer a stroke or a heart attack. But when they recover, they wake up and they took a hard, long look at their life. They perform a good, honest self-assessment and they say, hey, I can't keep living like this. If I do, I'll have another stroke, and that stroke just might kill me. I've got to change my life. See, this is what Jesus likes about this servant. He's honest. He takes an honest self-assessment about what's going on in his life and that there is something wrong. In the spiritual life, we must always assess our life. See how we're doing. If we're doing great, keep it up. But if we need to do something, we've got to honestly look at that. You know, one person may say, you know, I know I just need to pray more. I know I just need to go to Mass more often, in fact, every week. I know I, I'm spending too much time with myself selfishly. I need to volunteer for more things. Therefore, it's important for us to perform an honest assessment of how we're doing in the spiritual life. 
A third lesson that we can draw from this is the fact that Jesus admires that the steward acts decisively. You know, he's been fired from his job. He is awakened to his situation. He assesses with all honesty and with great clarity his situation. He's in great trouble. And therefore, he acts decisively. He doesn't put off. Instead, he immediately calls those people in. And then he starts rewriting the promissory notes. He starts doing them favors in hopes of getting favors from them later on. The key is he acts decisively, doesn't put it off. Well, so to us in the spiritual life. If we know that we need to pray more, we'll start. If we know we need to go to Mass on a regular basis, we'll begin. If we know that we have to or want to volunteer more of our time to share with others, we'll do it. The worst thing that we could do is put it off. Say, you know, maybe tomorrow or maybe next week. No. When we are given an opportunity to grow in our faith, to share in a life with Christ, we must act upon it and seize it. See, that's why there's some great spiritual lessons that we can take out from this strange and odd parable. First, always be awake to our spiritual situation. Assess it with great honesty. St. Ignatius of Loyola always taught his Jesuits to perform an examination of conscience, to see how they're doing in the spiritual life. Well, so must we. Honestly assess our life. And then if we need to correct our life, act upon it decisively. Don't put it off. Instead, act upon the great life that Christ wants to share with us and then live it out to the best of our abilities. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.